0: From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome back. I'm Kezia and I'm Tiana.
1: We'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world.
0: This week, we revisit an interview from 2015 with Timo Perala, president of the Winter Cycling Federation, then dig into the Christmas tree debate. Another piece from our 2016 archives and both seasonally appropriate. That's all coming up on Terra Informa, but first, we'll hear some headlines from around the world.
1: Calgary Board of Education and Bullfrog Power have teamed up to fund Good Day Sunshine, a recently announced initiative to install five new solar PV systems on Calgary Elementary Schools. The installations, located on Senator Patrick Burns School, Chinook Park School, Dr. E.W. Coffin School, Highwood School, and MinNapore School, were driven by teachers and students' desire to promote sustainability and take environmental action through clubs and programs.
0: At 10 kilowatts each, the the systems will collectively displace 850 tons of CO2 emissions annually. Bullfrog Power CEO Ron Seftel says, Through the installations, students are able to directly participate in the generation of clean, renewable power for their neighborhoods, getting to experience firsthand the value and pride that goes along with giving back to one's community. End quote.
1: Last week, Farmers were on the scene when Minister of Environment and Parks Shannon Phillips announced the Alberta Youth Climate Action Council was finally live and taking applications. The Council is looking for young adults aged 18 to 26 years from diverse backgrounds and knowledges to give feedback on the climate change issues and actions that are a priority for youth here in Alberta. Regular meetings with the Council and a Secretariat and quarterly meetings with the minister herself are some details of the position.
0: We here at Terra Informa are big supporters of youth participation in in political spaces, especially when it comes to the environment. If you fit that applicant description, then check the link on our website and put your name in the hat. Applications are open until January 6th, 2019.
1: If you didn't know, we're a little batty for bats here at Terranforma and have exciting news for our furry flying friends. A pilot study conducted by Texas State University and Bat Conservation International test drove some new technology that reduces bat mortality from wind turbines by up to 54%. The devices, developed by a company called NRG Systems, jam the echolocation ability of bats so they avoid the airspace around turbines, while leaving other wildlife unharmed.
0: This technology matters because, as Brogan Morton, senior product manager at Energy Systems says, quote, it is no secret that wind turbines cause mortality to bats. This has come become an increasingly critical issue as bat populations across North America continue to decline, end quote. After two years of testing, the technology has been demonstrated to reduce fatalities in two species of bats the Brazilian free-tailed bat, and the hoary bat, with the developers hoping to increase that number.
1: That's all for headlines. Let's take a trip down memory lane and revisit a feature story where Terran Farmers, Carson and Trevor interviewed the President of the Winter Cycling Federation, Timo Perala. Timo's advice on navigating the mental blocks of winter cycling is perfectly timed with our snowy streets and recently expanded bike
2: network.
3: I don't know about you, but I'm not a winter cyclist. It's too cold. You need all the stuff. It's dangerous enough cycling on the roads during the summer in the city. Winter cycling? Forget about it. Okay, I've never even bothered to try. But Trevor and I spoke to someone who wants me to.
4: Someone who wants us all to. My name is Timo Perala. Um, I'm the president for the International Winter Cycling Federation. And, uh, well, I like biking because it's the easiest way to get around in my city. Most convenient, fastest, doesn't cost a lot. Lots of reasons. It's fun. Ah, that's enough.
3: <laughs> Timo may love to cycle, but don't call him a cyclist. I'm, I'm not a winter
4: cyclist. I'm not a cyclist. I, it's weird for me. It's like telling people that, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I eat, I brush my feet, I'm a teeth brusher or something like that. Uh, if I would say that in all to somebody, hey, I'm a winter cyclist, and they go, what? What? So it's, it's a normal thing to do, and uh, to normalize that, it's, I think, it's the way to go. Um, if you, like, make it extreme, it's going to stay extreme. Why is it a good idea to be cycling in the winter? Why it's a good idea? Well, <clears throat> our cities, well, like in North America, the cities they are not for people. It seems like the cities are built for cars, and we have to change that. And uh, cycling and public transportation, they are the the best. Well, cycling, walking, and public transportation are the keys to that. And that's why uh, you should make these uh, sustainable transportation modes year round. You should make it. It's not clever to build something and say, oh, we closed it down for six months. No, okay. It's not a very economical way. To, to do things. When you do something in in winter cities, it should be like usable through the year. Otherwise, don't even do it. But it's a it's a good good way to help the cities to become more livable for the people. The cars are doing fine now,
3: nowadays, <laughs> too well. Oh, but Timo doesn't understand how cold it can get in Canada.
4: Uh, I'm from Oulu. Uh, it's um, a uh, city like 200 kilometers below the Arctic Circle. So uh, a city with 200,000 inhabitants. Fifth biggest in Finland. Small city, though.
3: The average high temperature in January in Ulu? Minus six degrees. Same as Ottawa and Montreal. Toronto, minus two. Calgary, minus three. Edmonton, minus eight. Regina, minus 11. So, not as cold as some of our Canadian cities, but certainly in the same ballpark.
4: So, it's a, it's a growing city and uh, the feel is kind of a, it's, um, it's a winter city, uh, it, it's a smart city in, some, in many, many ways. What, what do you mean by a winter city? Well, we have a long winter period. And what kind of culture does that make in your city? Uh, I think we are pretty practical about the winter, in, like in Scandinavia in, in general, uh, we take it as it is, and uh, a lot cycling is one part of that, uh, we use cycling, we use our bikes during the winter as well, we have a quality standards that um, the main cycling uh, routes should be treated before the big traffic hours, meaning 7 a.m., before 7 a.m. and 4 p.m., So you can go to work, and when you come back from the work, they should be treated, clean out of snow and ice. So So you have to make it convenient for the people, that's the thing. I mean, so for me in Edmonton,
3: if I want to winter cycle, I need to get new tires, I got to get equipment, I have to get over the cold. So what are some maybe misconceptions about winter cycling or things people are scared about but aren't? true about winter cycling
4: well um, it's a bit different thing back in, uh, in my city because uh, we have the infra and it's safe you have the feeling of safety so you don't really have to gear your bike up like I use the same bike throughout the year uh, I don't put any extra stuff there and I wear the normal clothes that I wear I just put different layers if it's cold mm-hmm. uh, I don't use any mask E-max. it gets minus 30 and it's windy we are by the sea so um, I think uh, what you do here quite a bit that you you make it a bit too extreme for the people like you have <laughs> to gear up you really have to do this and that and have that and that uh, it can be party true yeah because uh, I, I, I understood that um Your distances are a bit greater. Like uh, in in it's the normal, the average cycling distance is 2.9 kilometers, and if it's minus 20 to minus 30, okay, it's a short trip. It takes 10-15 minutes to do that, or even less. So um, you really don't have to prepare yourself that much. And um, well, that's the thing. Uh, But I would be careful like uh, telling people how extreme it is because it uh, scares people and they won't start doing it. When you make it convenient and and everybody can cycle. In my city, the kids bike to school, some 50% of the young kids, they they, they bike and you can see like in my city, in Olu there's old people going grocery shopping in their bikes. They're like 80 years old and they are not dying out there. So and that goes for winter as well, yeah, true winter, yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's can be pretty impressive uh, for like people from North America to come over there and see a bay theres like this cranny is cycling there Whoa, what the f- <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like that, it's normal, it's for everyone, eh? and I think winter cycling should be for everyone
3: um,
4: one big
3: problem here with. In terms of attitude towards bikers or cyclists, uh, especially coming from people driving cars, it's very hostile because they're sharing the road and cyclists is always in the way. Is there a strategy to sort of get over that stigma or that culture?
4: Yeah. Well, yeah. I know that's a tough question here. Uh, In all North American cities, it's the same thing that. um, the car culture is really strong, but uh, you just have to try like pilot, two pilots to one bit of uh, cycling infrastructure from, I don't know, for a few kilometers, a really good one and people will see it. Uh, I think it will benefit the car, car drivers as well. When people move uh, from cars to bikes, there's more space for the cars. So. Uh, It's a win-win situation at the end, it shouldn't be like uh, people fighting, it should be like more cooperative, because I think the city will benefit about it. Uh, The city will be more livable, Uh, there's less cars probably, more space for the cars as well. So uh, try to get rid of that, like this uh, fighting. I think another thing people probably wonder about is um, it seems like it would be more dangerous to be cycling in in the winter because of the ice and the snow and the cold. So how do you make it safe to cycle in the winter? Um, Well, yeah. um, Firstly, uh, it's a question of the infrastructure. If you have, uh, for example, cycling lanes, they're pretty hard to maintain during the wintertime. The conditions might be bad for the cyclist so get it right first and like separate it with a buffer like uh, protect your cycling infrastructure so you can uh, provide better maintenance level those are the steps and then when the cycling is act when you have that that uh, circumstances for the cyclist then it's not dangerous and uh, we were looking in Oulu like the statistics that the water what is the most dangerous cycling month in Oulu and it's June <clears throat> maybe it's because people are going into the bars during the summer time it's uh, nice and sunny and you are not depressed anymore after the long winter so and people go and drink a little bit and maybe fumble a little bit on their way home I don't know but uh, after that we have November and October are the tricky months when the, fir- the f- uh, first frost comes and we have slippery days and people don't realize that it's slippery. Those are the peak days in, in, uh, in single accidents among cyclists. But uh, when the real winter comes, then it's actually safer to cycle during the winter than during the summertime. That's so surprising to me. Yeah, for us it was as well surprising, uh, but nobody really has done that kind of comparison before. Like, uh, have the accidents data and then the amount of cycling and compare that, and it was a surprise. Thank you very much for sharing. No worries, my pleasure.
3: Timo has a point. Winter cycling doesn't have to be some crazy thing reserved for the hardcore. Really, it's just a way to get from point A to point B. And while we need our cities to help make it the best way to get to point b maybe we should just give it a shot and try
1: did you hear that Cassia? july is the most dangerous month to be a cyclist and riding your bike in the winter is a mind game more than anything else what do you think listeners do you winter cycle How much is it brains over brawn? Cycling continues to be a heated topic in the city, so let us know your thoughts in the comments on our website.
0: Speaking of heated topics, let's take a listen to another archive where Taryn Forma Hamdi explores the environmental debate between artificial and real Christmas trees, and how each stacks up in terms of contributing to climate change.
1: We're starting to get at that time of year when many of us are on the lookout for a new Christmas tree for our living rooms. We're usually faced with one of two options spraying for the real deal, or going artificial. But who wins in the ecological showdown between the two types of trees? Each has its pros and cons, but when it comes to deciding which is naughty and which is nice, the answer isn't so cut and dried. Before sprucing up your den this holiday season, you might want to hear some of the facts, which Hamby Asawi will take us through.
5: Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Huh? For almost 30 years now, my family's used the same artificial Christmas tree to celebrate Christmas. And until recently, I hadn't really thought twice about it. I mean, I knew that there were real-life Christmas trees out there, and people who cut them down or buy them, but it never really occurred to me why we didn't. When I asked my parents why, they said that when they bought ours, there wasn't much room in the budget or apartment for authenticity, even though my mom prefers them. Apparently, her dad used to bring one home every year. And this got me wondering about other people. What makes them choose one tree over the other? So to find out, I hit downtown Edmonton a week before the big day to find out how some shoppers have dealt with this classic Christmas conundrum. Hi, what's your name? Renee. Hi, Renee, do you have a Christmas tree at home? Um, yes, but I don't have it up yet. <laughs> what kind of tree do you have? Is it an artificial tree or a real tree? It's artificial. And why did you choose artificial? Um my boyfriend's tree, but I'd rather have a real tree. Oh, okay. So you kind of inherited the tree you have. Yes. And why would you prefer a real tree? It's more environmentally friendly. Really? How so? Um, well, you can replant the trees and also you waste a lot of material making those artificial trees, I believe. Something to think about. Thank you very much for your time, Renee. Hi, what's your name? Jessica. Jessica, do you have a Christmas tree at home? No. How come?
0: Uh, I live in a tiny bachelorette suite, and I go home for Christmas.
5: Uh, Have you ever had a Christmas tree?
0: Yeah, growing up. What kind? Uh, A spruce or an evergreen.
5: So it was a real tree? Yeah. And did you prefer the real tree over the artificial?
0: No, I think it kind of smelt like cat piss.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Nowadays, if you had the space or the time to go out and get a tree, which one would you choose?
3: Um,
0: probably a fake tree, just because they're more eco-friendly. And now they have like those special LED lights that twinkle.
5: Really flashy, huh? Yeah. How do you think they're more eco-friendly?
0: Because you're not constantly buying a new tree every year and chopping them down. Thanks for your time. No problem.
5: What struck me most about these answers were the environmentally friendly claims on both sides of the fence. A real tree is a one-time deal, but unlike a fake, it's biodegradable, recyclable, and it produces oxygen while absorbing greenhouse gas. On the other hand, I've been enjoying my tree for more than 25 years, which means 25 trees are still alive. So then which tree is, well, greener? I was stumped, so I called Dr. Charles Barden for help. He's a professor of forestry and director of the Tuttle Research Center for Kansas State University.
2: Uh, it be um, any kind of a, a pesticide or anything the, on the tree.
5: Now you probably get asked this a lot close to Christmas time, but between real and artificial Christmas trees, which one's better for the environment?
2: Sure, I would say, from an environmental perspective, actually, the real tree is is better for the environment. Uh, How so? Than the artificial tree that uses. Uh, A lot of energy and petrochemicals, and even lead, in in their production. And then the artificial tree doesn't, you know, last forever. It really looks good for about, you know, five or eight years. That needs to be discarded, and uh, another one purchased.
5: And which petrochemicals are you referring to specifically?
2: Well, generally PVC, the polyvinyl chloride, is the uh, primary material that uh, you know makes the, the foliage, the basically the plastic foliage of the of the tree itself.
5: And unlike fake trees, real ones are actually supposed to help guard against climate change, right? By sequestering or absorbing greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide.
2: Exactly. During the tree's life, it um, you know absorbs a lot of uh, carbon dioxide and puts it into the the wood and roots of the tree. And then we we harvest that tree. The uh, the stump and all the root system is still there, and that slowly adds carbon uh, to the soil. So some of it gets broken down and back to the atmosphere, but uh, much of it uh, will be tied up in the soil.
5: But when these trees are burned or they decay, they release that stored carbon right back into the atmosphere. So are they really better climate-wise than the alternative?
2: Right. What it does is if you, you burn it or get it completely broken down, it does return the carbon back to the atmosphere, but it was the, the same carbon that it absorbed over the first you know 10 years of its life. So we talk about trees being carbon-neutral. Uh, if you you know burn up the tree even for... You know, heating your home, uh, it'll be carbon neutral in that the you release the carbon that the tree just absorbed over its uh, lifetime. Uh, But we aren't taking uh, carbon, you know, fossil fuels out of the ground that's been tied up for millions of years, and then kind of adding that to the net global budget of carbon.
5: Now, I want to ask you about disposal because real trees don't necessarily have to be thrown out; they can actually be recycled. So, how does that work?
2: A lot of uh, municipalities around the country now will. Have a certain day when you can leave your trees by the uh, curbside, and they will come through with a with a separate collector for those and chip them up to use them basically for wood chip mulch in their uh, parks and areas. And uh, also they can be um, sunken into a, a pond or lake uh, to be used for fish habitat. They'll act like mini coral reefs with the uh, structure of the branches and needles on the trees will allow algae and plants to grow on them and small... Uh, uh, fish will be attracted to that, and hiding in the branches, and the bigger fish will come into the shade of the trees that are provided.
5: That's kind of comforting, actually. So does this mean that uh, the life of a real tree is pretty much finished after Christmas, or is it possible to keep that tree alive and maybe even reuse it?
2: Yes, th- that can work, um, uh, especially in areas where the ground you know, will not be uh, frozen solid uh, after Christmas. But uh, yeah, so we call those living Christmas trees, or ball and burlap, or potted Christmas trees, and it does mean you, you know, can't really keep it in your house for three weeks or so because the tree will start to lose dormancy and think it's spring and start to grow, and then you put it outside, it'll it'll go into shock and get damaged. But if you want to just keep the tree inside for about a week or so, you also may want to dig the uh, planting hole, you know, when you receive the tree, uh, and then cover it uh, with a with a burlap or or some sheets of cardboard so it doesn't fill in, and then you'll be ready to plant that tree even if there is some frost in the ground uh, when you're ready to take it down after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Okay, that yeah. so now, works
5: I well came across a, a study on this very topic know, published by Ellipsos, a or consulting firm that specializes in sustainable development. Frozen, in it, they examined the life cycles of real and artificial Christmas trees in Montreal. According to their results, quote, When compared on an annual basis, the artificial tree, which has a lifespan of six years, has three times more impact on climate change and resource depletion than the natural tree, This is due almost entirely to carbon emissions from the production process of those bristly PVC plastic trees. But there's a twist. If an artificial tree is kept for more than 20 years, the table starts to turn. After 20 years, the fuel it takes to truck real trees home begins to tip the scales to the other side, because the carbon emissions from producing and shipping in artificial trees are a one-time thing, I asked Dr. Barden what he thought of this.
2: Things that makes me nervous about that is the, that PVC foliage, the plastic foliage, will start to kind of get brittle and break up, and uh, if they use lead to stabilize that, which a lot of the Chinese manufacturers do, uh, you basically be polluting your indoor ear with with powdered lead, uh, and so that doesn't sound like a a good deal to me. It's always more efficient to ship a thousand or something than to go get one and bring it back. But when you look at the um, family memories you're making by visiting a local Christmas tree farm and, and uh, providing some money to the local economy, and the good memories of the kids picking out the tree and doing that sort of family activity besides just going to the store and, and buying one, I, you know, there's something more important than, than fuel use in this world, I think.
0: That was an archive piece talking about Christmas trees and the 20-year lifespan needed for an artificial tree to have equal greenhouse gas emissions compared to a natural one. 20 years is a long time. I don't know what your feelings are on commitment, but I'm not ready to take that step. Seems like a perfect alternative would be to visit the University of Alberta Forestry Society's annual Christmas tree sale. If you're celebrating
1: the holidays in the Edmonton area, Visit the tree sale located in the Corbett Hall parking lot near the University of Alberta Hospital. Open Monday to Friday from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. This annual event runs until December 21st or until the trees sell out. 10% of proceeds are donated to the United Way. Check out their Facebook page for more info.
0: If you want to hear more stories like the ones we played today, visit our website at terrainforma.ca, where you can listen, share, and subscribe on iTunes.
1: That's all the time we have for this week's show. Before we go, I want to remind listeners that Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, located in Edmonton, Alberta, and part of Treaty 6, the territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other first peoples who continue
0: to live and gather here. If you have questions or comments, send us an email at terra at cjsr.com or tweet at terrainforma.
1: A big thank you to our contributors this week, Hannah Cunningham, Elizabeth Dowdell, Amanda Rooney and Andrea Weed.
0: I've been your host, Tiana Barbacross. And I've been your host, Kezia Diaz. We'll catch you next week right here on Terra Inform.